Let me open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to come to you now and commit this time to you in prayer. Uh, We call upon you in prayer, Lord, because we need your help when we open up your word. We need your help at all times, Father, but especially when we open up your revelation to us. Because we need your help to interpret it. We need your help to understand it and to apply it to our lives. So Lord, send your spirit in a fresh wave now upon us and upon our eyes. Let us see clearly your word. Take it to heart. Let us watch and pray as we prepare for the things that your word speaks of today. In Jesus' name, amen. I know many Christians, uh, myself included, uh, who lament their Christian testimony. And what I mean by that is they, they have a testimony. They have what a, a, a conversion experience to Christ. Maybe they were a child or maybe they were a, you know, a teenager or a young adult. They have a conversion experience. They look back on it, but it was kind of plain. It was kind of, uh, you know, normal, standard. There was nothing exciting about it. You hear about the stories of, you know, drug dealers coming to Jesus. You hear the story of, of mobsters coming to Jesus. You hear the story of, of prostitutes and, and, and those uh, committing heinous crimes and, and they have their Jesus moment and they come to Jesus and they throw off all of their sins and they turn to him in faith and it's an amazing testimony. And then you kind of look at your testimony sometimes and you go, well... I mean, maybe some, a few of you have some incredible testimonies. I know uh, Ty, Ty's got an incredible testimony. Elias, I know Elias has an incredible testimony. A few, a few of us out here, we have what we would call remarkable, life-altering testimonies. But I would argue the majority of us probably have kind of a plain testimony. In fact, when we're asked to share it, we kind of go, well, there's, there's not much to say. We think of our testimony, of course, as something that's limited, limited, right, to, to the past, the past conversion experience that we've had. But what's interesting is that Jesus is going to remind us today that your testimony is not something that's merely confined to the past. No, it's also what awaits you in the future. There's one thing about the future that will either cause your testimony to shine or to remain lifeless and uninspiring. That one thing is persecution. The title of this message is Future Persecution. Our testimony is just beginning. Stand if you are able And let's read from Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 5 to 19. Luke 21, verse 5 to 19. Then, as some spoke of the temple in Jerusalem, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, Jesus said, these things which you see, the days will come. 
in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Verse 8, And Jesus said, Take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is drawn near. Therefore do not go after them. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Verse 10. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, even by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake but not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. You may be seated. Verse 5 again to 7. Then as some some spoke of the temple in Jerusalem, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, Jesus said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? The temple in Jerusalem, we're familiar with it, right? Those of us who have been uh, here at Coast uh, uh, going through this study in the Gospel of Luke, it was a beautiful, beautiful temple. Solomon's was probably even more grand in scope However, Herod, the second temple, Herod the Great had actually begun a reconstruction project. And and Herod, despite the fact that he was truly not uh, a follower of the Lord God, nevertheless, he loved that temple and he wanted it to look beautiful. And so he began kind of a reconstruction project of sorts that built the temple back up to to its beauty, to its heyday. And it was in the midst of that renovation That reconstruction as Jesus was on scene. Josephus likened uh, the temple to a beautiful snow-capped mountain. Tacitus, the Roman historian, he, he called it immensely opulent. It was the pride of Israel. It was a wonder of the ancient Near East. By modern comparison, its beauty would have rivaled the Taj Mahal, Buckingham Palace. The experience you get when you when you see the Lincoln Memorial. So you can only imagine the people's astonishment when Jesus made this next comment in verse 6. He says, these things which you see, 
The days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. This temple, this place, your pride and wonder, Israel, all of it is coming down. Not one stone will be left upon another. Imagine today if uh, the masses heard that about a great monument, a great landmark, a great building of architecture. Imagine uh, we were told in, uh, in America there was some, uh, some man who got some platform, maybe through uh, some sort of publication or through the internet. He had a voice and everyone heard it. And he made a prediction that the Lincoln Memorial would be thrown down stone by stone. We as Americans would be like, come on, who are you? Is this a joke? Are you crazy? That's the Lincoln Memorial. Nothing's going to happen to it. The security around it is bar none. No one is going to tear down the Lincoln Memorial. You're crazy. Now imagine a number of years later, the Lincoln Memorial was destroyed. Imagine a terrorist attack, imagine a bomb, something happens and it's blown to smithereens. All of us would then do what with the person who made that prediction? We would be like, how did you know that? How did you, how did you predict that? All of a sudden, crazy man would turn into prophet. When Jesus made the prediction that the Jerusalem temple was going to be destroyed, torn down stone by stone, everyone thought he was crazy. No one believed him. They all thought he was off his rocker. But then, just a few decades later, it happened. It happened. Less than 40 years after Jesus' death, the Jerusalem temple was destroyed. Titus of Rome came in with his armies. They went to battle against the Jews and they burned Jerusalem to the ground, the temple included. And that little bit, that little bit about not one stone upon another, well that happened too. You see, the temple was the treasury of the Jewish nation. And when Titus burned Jerusalem and burned the temple, the treasury burned too. And all of the gold and all of the precious metal that was in the, the temple melted with it. And it melted, according to Josephus, into the cracks and crevices of the Jerusalem stone walls, of the walls of the temple, of the walls of the city, such that as the city burned and as the temple burned and as the metal melted into the stones, when all was said and done, Titus gave order to the 10th legion to have the Jewish captives uproot every stone. So much gold was found that historians estimate the price of gold fell by 50% in the years following the Jewish war against Rome. 50%. That's a matter of fact. 
Read Josephus' War of the Jews, book 6, chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus' predictions came true. And how has the world responded to the accuracy of his prophecy? It seems the world is mildly impressed, mildly amused. That's how Jesus' detractors are today. We, they look back and go, oh, come on. Come on, now they, maybe they rewrote that in. He couldn't have predicted that. Those same detractors were there in Jesus' day. Verse 7, so they asked him, saying, Teacher, when will these things be? What sign will there be when these things are about to take place? It was likely the unbelieving religious leaders who asked this question. We're not told directly, but it's implied. They were at best feigning interest in Jesus' ideas about the destruction of the temple. But Jesus wasn't pretending at all. And he decides to answer their question. Though I imagine his eyes turn from the religious leaders to his disciples and followers as he answers their question. Listen to his deeply powerful words as he, ter- as he hears the question from the unbelieving religious leaders and answers it in direct view of his disciples and his followers. Verse 8. And he said, Take heed that you not be deceived, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after those people. But when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then Jesus said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. There's four things listed here, really. Each one per verse. This kind of makes it convenient. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. You've got four items here to look forward to. Well, I don't know if it's to look forward to. Warning signs. The first, verse 8, Jesus says, Beware of deception about saviors, potential saviors and time frames. There's going to be a lot of saviors out there, friends. There's going to be a lot of people that you think is a Messiah. Maybe not the Messiah. You know who the Messiah is. But there's going to be a lot of us who suppose that we found a Savior. Most of the time we think it's a politician. 21st century Christians, evangelicals, most of the time they, they find their Messiah all right. They find it in a candidate, in, in, a, in a political candidate. And they think, oh, this, this will be the one who can bring it back, who can save us. Jesus is speaking to that as well, saying, hey, don't be deceived. There's going to be many out there who claim and who you believe will be your Savior, will be the one to restore all things, get everything in line again, throw off evil, throw off the things that oppress and make things right. Many are going to come and and speak of time frames, timetables. He says, be careful about those. Don't be deceived. No man or woman can save you. Certainly no politician. And no one knows the timetable. Though there are indicators of what is coming. 
So first, don't be deceived about potential saviors and those who have timetables, accurate ones, highly, highly accurate ones. Number two, verse nine, prepare for wars and commotions between nations and kingdoms. The word commotions there, the Greek word akatatasia, it means revolutions, disorder, insurrection, maltreatment by mobs. We've seen that in our own nation recently. Insurrection, revolution, rebellion. We saw it in Ferguson, justified or unjustified, it happened. We saw it in Baltimore, justified or unjustified, it happened. We're seeing it rise up in various cities in our own nation. And that's to say nothing of what's happening overseas. Remember the Arab Spring? That which continues to this day? Ongoing, looming wars and commotions between nations. Of course, the Greek word there for nations more accurately is peoples, people groups. So between peoples and kingdoms, meaning nations. So between peoples and nations, there will be wars and disorder growing in proportion. Verse 10, there will be natural disasters, potentially man-made disasters, but certainly natural ones. Earthquakes. Nepal, in your bulletins today, open up your bulletin if you get a chance, read the update about the Nepalese uh, earthquake. Pastor Arch, um, who serves as our missionary and founding pastor, uh, one of our uh, longtime pastors, Pastor Arch has blessed and taught many of the Nepalese pastors over there, and his organization is fearful that many of them have died in that earthquake. They don't have any kind of accurate information yet but their suspicion is is that many have died. Many pastors in Nepal. When you have a moment, check your bulletin. You can find out how you can help with that earthquake. We remember the earthquake in Haiti. And in various places, right? In unusual places. I think of, uh, well, Oklahoma, right? Oklahoma. Who would have thought? Earthquakes in Oklahoma. And yet recently there have been so many. Hmm. Famines, we think of the continent of Africa, think of Somalia. Pestilences, more, more appropriately plagues, we think of Ebola. Of course, you know, we can go through human history and we can, we can see earthquakes, we can see famines, we can see pestilences. You know, maybe, maybe we can uh, mark these in different parts of world history, of course we can. But with the greater frequency with which they're happening, earthquakes in particular, unusual frequency today. Scientists are baffled. We have deception about saviors, verse 8. We have wars and commotions, verse 9. We have natural, potentially man-made disasters, verse 10. And verse 11, fearful sights and great signs from heaven. That is the sky. Fearful sights and great signs from heaven. They could be correlated. They might not be. The and there, some, some take them as distinct. Some take them as one and the same. The word fearful sights, phobiton in Greek, where we get the, the English word phobia. Fearful sights. I know what I'm fearful of. I'm fearful of the beheadings that I hear about overseas. ISIS. I'm fearful about uh, the stories of the women and the children and what they're doing to them overseas. The fact that they're making, uh, they're they're doing it in part because they make money off of it because of the pornographic industry in the West. So that every time we engage in pornography, we are actually subsidizing 
the work of sex traffickers in the Middle East and throughout the world. Something to think about when you think your porn addiction is harmless. No, you're actually paying for the kidnapping of girls and kids. Fearful sights, terrifying things. Signs from heaven, the sky. Make, make what you will of the four lunar eclipses, also known as the tetrad, and the two solar eclipses that are occurring within a span of about 17 months from April of last year to September of this year. Make what you will of those uh, six events, four lunar eclipses, two solar eclipses. NASA will tell you that those six such heavenly phenomenon uh, can occur in close proximity with one another. But what NASA cannot seem to explain is how these six eclipses all coincide with major Jewish festivals. The first lunar eclipse on April the 15th, 2014, coincided with Passover. The second lunar eclipse on October 8th of last year with the Feast of Tabernacles. The third, this time not a lunar, but a solar eclipse occurred on March 20th of this year, Rosh Kodesh Nisan, a Jewish holiday. The next, a lunar eclipse on April the 4th, occurred on Passover. And in the future, we'll have a solar eclipse on September 13 that'll occur on the Feast of Trumpets. And finally, a lunar eclipse during the Feast of Tabernacles, September 28, 2015. Six, four lunar eclipses, two solar eclipses, all of which coincide with major Jewish feasts. I'm not a scientist. I can assure you, the odds of that are unbelievable. Tetrads, just the four, just the four lunar eclipses coinciding with major Jewish holidays have maybe, maybe conservative, uh, at best rather, at best they've occurred eight times on major Jewish holidays, all four of them occurring on major Jewish holidays. In human history, the fact that we're looking at six now, Could it be coincidence? Yeah, it could. Could it merely be a chance for opportunists to write books and produce end times materials that rile up the faithful? Yes, it could. But the odds are too great, in my opinion, to merely be happenstance. And I can tell you that I will be, I will be more alert on September 13 when the fifth event occurs, the second solar eclipse. And I can tell you that I will be especially alert on September 28th when the final lunar eclipse occurs. It's caught my interest. And September 28th is the day before my wife's birthday. She's uh, teaching the kids today. And so if she listens to the tape, I just want to say, honey, I'm sorry, but there will be no birthday gifts today because the end of the world is coming. going to be a crummy birthday, honey. Maybe we'll be in heaven. 
Now hold on, hold on. Don't get ahead of ourselves here. Don't, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yes, these things that we've mentioned, these four things, they will precede the end. But Jesus says there's something else that is coming. And this sign will even precede all the terrors that we've just mentioned. Take a look at verse 12. This will precede all of them. Verse 12. But before, before, notice the time indicator, before all these things, that is before verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, and all the things he's mentioned there, Before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Before all these things, before all this talk of false messiahs and wars and disasters and signs in the sky, Before all this, something else will take place. First, there will be persecution. Look again at verse 12. Before all these things, they'll lay their hands on you. They'll persecute you. They'll deliver you to synagogues and prisons. You'll be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. Jump down to verse 16. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, betrayed by relatives, betrayed by friends, and they will put some of you to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. This will happen first. They'll lay their hands on you They'll persecute you. They'll deliver you to the synagogues and prisons. Let's be clear about who the you is. The you of Luke 21 here, verse 12, is directed at the disciples and the followers of Jesus. He's not looking at the scribes and Pharisees who asked him the question. He's looking straight at his disciples at his faithful ones. And he's telling them, before all these things take place, you will first suffer tremendous persecution. And we go, Phew. oh, good. I'm glad he's talking to them. Right? Oh, good. Woo. I was getting a little nervous there because I thought he was talking about me. But pastor cleared it up. He was talking to the disciples. This is a first century matter. I can just kind of read it and be like, oh, that's interesting. Not so fast. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, he says, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Jesus' warning in Luke 21 is for us too, friends. Yes, historically speaking, his comments were precisely meant for his first century followers. But if you suppose that that's the only group they were meant for, you're fooling yourself. Persecution is coming. Persecution is coming. Visit persecution.com, a website uh, organized by Voice of the Martyrs. You'll read horrible, unspeakable atrocities taking place 
against Christians all over the world, particularly the Middle East and Northern Africa. But now in our day, persecution is coming to the United States of America. And it always starts small. Oh, it starts very small. Simple harassment. It starts out harmless. You, you look at it, really. You look at it and you go, that's, that's not persecution. But friends, persecution always, always starts small. And it builds. It looks harmless. It, you're not even sure you can define it as persecution. And then all of a sudden it starts to build and someone loses a job. Like uh, Brendan Ike. In April of last year, days after his appointment as CEO of Mozilla Firefox, the web browser, Brendan Ike was chased out of his chief executive office position by longtime Mozilla employees for holding a view that marriage was between one man and one woman. Brendan became the target of a highly coordinated smear campaign when it was revealed that he had given $1,000 to California's successful Proposition 8, also known as the California Marriage Protection Act, which temporarily, temporarily, created a new amendment in the state constitution defining marriage between a man and a woman until a judge later ruled that um, amendment unconstitutional. Brendan Ike gave $1,000 back in what, 07, 08? Was that 06? Now I'm forgetting. He gave $1,000 almost a decade ago, took a job as CEO of Mozilla Firefox last April, 2014. Within days, he was chased out. Why? Because they found a donation. Because they found a donation. Hmm. Persecution starts small. Ah, it's just a job. Come on. That's no big deal. But then it builds. Not only do you lose your job, you start to, I don't know, lose your livelihood. Local municipalities, local rulers, governing officials, they start to weigh in on you. They start to levy fines on you for your beliefs. Take the case of Aaron and Melissa Klein. Aaron and Melissa Klein's dream of opening a dessert shop up near Portland, Oregon, soon turned into a nightmare when in 2013, two lesbian women demanded that they bake them their wedding cake. The Klein family very gracefully, and I emphasize very gracefully, explained that they could not participate in making that cake because it would violate their conscience to participate in a same-sex marriage ceremony such as that. But the lesbian couple wouldn't take no for an answer. They filed a complaint to the state. Public pressure mounted. The clients were forced to close their bakery and now operate out of their home where they are the continued object of harassment and vandalism. 
Investigations are ongoing, but the most recent ruling by the Oregon Bureau of Labor and Industries ruled that the Kleins are held liable for their discriminatory act against the same-sex couple and must pay upwards of a $135,000 fine. $135,000 for refusing to make a wedding cake. Persecution starts small. Oh, it's just a job. Oh, it's just their, it's just their, their shop. Oh, it's just, it's just a six-figure fine. That's no big deal, right? Now, some of you are thinking, oh, come on, pastor. Those are business matters. Let's keep faith out of the workplace. That's what the world says. That's what some Christians say. Let's keep faith out of the workplace. Things will be just fine. It's not like our, our churches. It's not like our pastors are facing these kinds of pressures. That's only happening in the business world. Really? Well, on October 17th of last year, Pastor Donald and his wife Evelyn Knapp, a husband and wife, team of ministers, refused to perform a same-sex wedding ceremony in their chapel. The homosexual couple filed suit against them. This was last year, October 17th. And the city of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, stepped in to tell Donald and Evelyn, the ministers, that refusing to marry a same-sex couple at their wedding chapel could send them straight to jail or bury them in fines. Currently, the decision is on appeal while the Knapps face the possibility of up to 180 days in jail and up to $1,000 in fines for every single day they refuse to marry this couple. Are we really so naive to suppose that persecution isn't coming to us? It's here. And I've truly, I've just mentioned the issue of homosexual marriage. I'm not even speaking of so many other issues I could address. I'm just picking one. Just on this one issue, persecution is coming with a vengeance. It's here. And if, if, next month, if, the Supreme Court does decide, to make homosexual marriage a fundamental human right for all Americans. Are you really so naive to suppose that the views of Christian churches and pastors, do you suppose those views will be protected? I tell you it won't. First, If the Supreme Court legalizes homosexual marriage first, it'll be our tax-exempt status. If homosexual, that'll be gone. When same-sex marriage is the law of the land, we will lose our tax-exempt status. The only churches that may keep it are those churches who bow the knee to the government and agree to sanction homosexual marriage as a fundamental human right. Next, it'll be the expansion of hate speech laws in this nation. If homosexual marriage becomes a fundamental human right, those who preach against it will be arrested. On what grounds? For hate speech. Hate speech. Don't believe me? Do you know the primary reason pastors are jailed in countries like Sweden and Canada? Do you know why they're jailed primarily? 
It's because they preach that homosexual relations are wrong. And they go to jail for their speech. Even if the Supreme Court does pass on federalizing homosexual marriage, this state that we live in and its people are on a path to continued criminalization of a biblical view of marriage. Your job will be at stake. Your livelihood will be at stake. And in time, your very life will be at stake. That is, if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Because if you don't, you'll shrink back. You'll shrink back when the heat gets turned up. Jesus said the love of many will grow cold. Paul said in the latter times some will fall away and abandon the faith. 1 Timothy 4.1 You know why? Because they won't be able to stand it. The heat of persecution will be turned up. It will be too intense. They'll melt under the pressure. When push comes to shove, they will cave. And they'll say, it's okay, it's okay. Yeah, I think, it's, I think homosexual marriage is great in direct opposition to this. Yeah, our church, yeah, our, our church will sanction it, government. Just keep our tax-exempt status, please. Yeah, don't, you don't have to worry about listening to our sermons because we won't mention that. No hate speech here. We'll bow the knee. There will be a big separation of churches soon, friends. I'm telling you. There will be a huge separation among churches. Those that bow the knee to the state and those that bow the knee to the word of God. Don't think it can happen here? Man. I'm, I, 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 honestly, I have no time. I have no time to, to try and... I have no more time laboring to convince people of this possibility, probability, rather. Because in just one or two years, businesses, Christian business owners are being run out of business. In just one or two years, Christian pastors are being commanded to marry homosexual couples. In just one or two years, this has happened. What of the next few years? Really? Oh, yeah, no, it's going gonna, it's gonna to stop. There's going to be a line. It's, they're, they're not going to go any further than this. Come on. Faced with losing family, faced with incurring hatred, or even death, many Christians will throw their hands up and say, I quit. Verse 16, you'll be betrayed, even by parents, brothers, relatives, friends. They'll put some of you to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Don't quit. Don't quit. You will be tempted to quit. You will be tempted. You are being tempted to quit. How many Christians already are saying, oh, come on, homosexual marriage, let's, let's give that issue up. Let's give it up. That's already done, right, Pastor? No. It's not done. It's not done. Your testimony is just beginning. If you thought it was lifeless and uninspiring, just wait. Your testimony as a follower of Jesus Christ is about to be put on display for everyone to see if you want to remain faithful to his word. So finish well. 
Oh, how often the scriptures speak of finishing well. You're about to know what it takes to finish well. And the Spirit is with us, friends, to help us finish well. Look again at verse 13. But it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. This will be an opportunity for you, friends. Therefore, sell it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Our persecution is an occasion for testimony. So what do I do? Don't be anxious. Don't fret. Just remain faithful to the Lord, to his word, to his people. And when the day comes, and it will come, that you face persecution, he will give you a mouth. He'll give you words. Words to speak that are beyond your natural ability. He'll give you wisdom that will confound your enemies. Truth is truth. It will prevail despite all the world's attempt to contradict it or resist it. But make no mistake, if you hold fast for the truth, you will suffer for it. I believe, this is my personal opinion, I believe that in the coming years, and I mean years, a few years, I would give it five at best. I believe in the coming years, people in this church will lose a job for speaking the truth. I believe in a matter of years that some of you in this church will lose your livelihood for being faithful to Christ, faithful to the convictions of Scripture. I believe that a few of us may even face jail in less than five years. Quite frankly, I think it's likely that faithful, I emphasize faithful, American pastors will be among the first to go to jail for speaking the truth. To which I say, come and get me, for I will not stop speaking the truth of God's word. It is coming. It already is here in Canada, in Sweden, in other countries where to speak against homosexuality is a hate crime. No matter what happens, Jesus ends with a promise. Verse 18, But not a hair of your head shall be lost, so by your patience possess your souls. You will be hated. You will be betrayed. You will be arrested. You will be jailed. You may even die, verse 16, for your faith. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. That is to say, your testimony, your testimony, your posterity, your witness to Jesus will endure forever. Not even an inkling of it will disappear. Not even a hair of it. You may die for your faith, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. Your testimony, your witness will go forth. So endure the persecution. By your patient endurance, possess your soul. Conduct yourself in wisdom. Conduct yourself in truth. Knowing that your testimony is just beginning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are ever desiring to be prepared for this. And Father, we, we are getting the impression both from your word 
and from what is happening in the world around us, that the heat is being turned up right now. That the dials are being turned and they're moving a whole lot quicker than they were even a matter of years ago. Father, we see what's coming and we read your son's predictions about it. And we know that it wasn't just for first century ears that he spoke these words, but that he spoke it to all who wish to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. So Lord, prepare us. Ready us for persecution. May we not quit. May we not shrink back. May we finish well and be prepared to put our jobs, our livelihood, our very lives on the line so that we might stand in your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.